0: We will now read today's scripture reading, which will be from Hebrews 11:32 32 through 40. If you would like to follow along in our pew Bibles, we are on page 1008. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained, They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. If you guys ever had that text where you receive it and it's the someone that's like texting you like they've known you for a long time but you have no idea who it is. I got that um, two nights ago. <clears throat> and and it was a, hi, it's Chris. It's like, hi, Chris. What's your last name? <laughs> um, and then I found out it was my cousin. So it's this cousin, this cousin of mine who's never texted me his whole life, and he went to USF and never contacted me when I reached out, like, do you want to have dinner or whatever? But now he's getting married, so he's asking, hey, can you officiate my wedding next year? And so my wife was like, oh, he must want something. And and so that's what it was. So she just knows people so well. Um, The reason why I bring him up, though, is because actually um, his mom's house is a house that I love visiting. And the reason is, is because she has collected all the pictures from the entire family. She's kind of just kind of taken everybody's pictures and she's put them all over her house. So we have all these black and white photos of like my great grandparents and grandparents and parents, like black, white photos of them in, in China and in Mexico. And it just has like this story of my family uh, throughout all the generations. And, and it's just like a really, really cool thing I bring that up because when looking at Hebrews chapter 11, it's this picture gallery of people of the faith, the heroes of our faith. And this gallery is to help us see the people we're hearing about in these stories in chapter 11 this morning. Now, the purpose of the author to share these pictures of, of these faith heroes is because the early Christian church was in dire need of encouragement these people were heavily persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, imprisoned, beaten, sometimes killed, martyred, and and they were starting to lose their confidence in their faith because they were experiencing a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of hardship because of their faith. Now maybe some of you can relate to this because um, in, in just talking to people, I hear every once in a while about their doubts in God. And they have a lot of these why questions, such as, if God is indeed real, then why do I suffer these things? Why am I going through these things? Why is my family going through these things? Why do we have these circumstances of, of pain and suffering and, and just hardships? And why is the world like this? And why is this happening to good people? Why is this happening to people who are supposedly innocent? And so we just have a lot of these why questions. I do know, and maybe you do too, a lot of people who have just kind of given up on their faith and they've walked with this faith for a long time and they've just kind of like given up on it. And we probably also know a lot of people who are struggling with their faith right now. And sometimes a look back to those who walked before us through really difficult times is the encouragement that we need and it's going to be helpful to us. So the author writes of these people to remind us of those who came before them and before us and and to encourage them to continue in their faith. Now, before writing chapter 11 about these people, the author writes this in chapter 10, verse 39, which gives us context for chapter 11, and it reads this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We started chapter 11 last week and we took a look at Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. This morning we'll look at the rest of this picture gallery of faith of these people who we're looking at as encouragement. Now the aim of the author is not just encouragement. The aim of the author is actually for us to fix our gaze on Jesus Christ. Skip over to the next chapter, chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It's not to look to these people in chapter 11. It's to look to Jesus. And these people in chapter 11 are not God. They were people who were experiencing the same feelings, trials, hardships that you and I deal with. They were tempted, beaten up, unfairly judged, fearful, doubtful, wondering what was going to happen to their life and wondering what was going to happen to the lives of the people that they loved. And they kept their faith, even though they were going through these really difficult times. And they continued looking to God for encouragement, direction, strengthening, correction. Whatever else they needed from God. These are witnesses of God who live by faith. And we're going to take a look at the portraits of these people this morning for encouragement. For endurance of our faith. But to remember that we are looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Starting in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The background to this story is found in Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 9. Uh, As I read these verses, if you can just, if you want, if it helps you, you can close your eyes and just draw the picture in your head. Um, But if anything, just imagine these verses as I give you this description of what was happening in Genesis 22. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So you have that picture in your head. Now go back to Hebrews 11. Why does the author share that story about Abraham and Isaac and draw that picture for us? Sometimes people start debating about the morality behind a father killing a son and all this kind of stuff, and and they start going on rabbit trails as to what things are and stuff like that. If your mind is going there, you've completely lost the entire point of this story because the point of this is about Abraham's faith. So it says, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God said this, then Abraham believed it and did it. The questionable thing here is, if Isaac dies, how does the promise come true? And so that is a real test of Abraham's faith because God made this promise and then God gave this command and the promise and the command, they seem to contradict one another. How can God ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son? How can the son Possibly, be willingly uh, to willing to submit to his father. Does any of that sound familiar with the heavenly father and Jesus Christ the Son, drawing that picture there? And so we see and we read that Isaac's survival is key to God's promise. And on the surface, this seems to contradict because this commandment is going against this promise. But Abraham was going to do what God told him to do. He was going to do this commandment because he would trust God. Even though all of these circumstances, this situation seems to contradict the promise And that he keeps his faith and that faith reassures him, you know what? God is indeed in control. And God indeed has a plan because he told me, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So God said that I believe it and if Isaac dies God is going to raise him up from the dead. Look at Genesis chapter 22 verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, "Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you." And the boy So Abraham knew God's going to keep his promise. God's going to keep his promise even though this situation is happening, even though this circumstance that is seemingly contradictory to the promise is happening, that the key to Abraham's faith is to be obedient to God's command. And God is faithful to his promise. Obedience by faith won't get in the way of God's promises. And so the importance in this picture of Abraham is to remain obediently faithful. He knows God's promise, and he's going to act upon the promise and be faithful to that. Verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. The background of this verse is found in Genesis chapter 27, where we find the deception of Jacob and his, his mom plotting to take Esau, the firstborn, take his blessing. Because that blessing from Isaac belonged to the firstborn son. And so Genesis 27 tells us that Esau is this hairy guy. Jacob is not so hairy. And so Jacob and his mom conspire to trick Isaac into believing Jacob was Esau to, to receive Isaac's blessing that was meant for Esau. When Isaac finds out about this deception, something really interesting happens. He doesn't change his mind. Wouldn't you think? Like a dad, like, oh, I gave it to the wrong guy. Um, no, 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 never mind. Um, I gave, you, you tried tricking me. Bad boy. You lose everything. I'm going to give it to the good boy. Right? But that doesn't happen. Why? You know, even though people are so messed up and people do things that aren't supposed to happen, God still accomplishes his purpose. It still happens. You can't stop it. You and I can't stop that. So we find here Jacob is really deceitful, super dishonest, and it wasn't God who was responsible for Jacob's choices. It was Jacob and his mom who came up with this scheme. And here's another thing that's really fascinating is that God's not surprised by this deception. God knows. And yet it doesn't change the promise and faithfulness of God to his people. God's plans will still move forward, no matter what, because God is sovereign, even when we are irresponsible, dishonest, deceitful, He still moves it forward because of His sovereign grace and His mercy, and He works out all of those things despite our irresponsibilities or even our responsibilities to fulfill His own promises and His purposes. That even with all this deception, and all this dishonesty, God still used Jacob. I don't know about you, but thank God. It's like how many times you and I mess up, and yet God's still there, giving us multiple chances, still blessing us. He still helped Jacob. He still blessed him, even though he was so unkind to his father and dishonest. Even though he was so gullible and manipulated by his mom even though his heart was so full of envy for his brother Esau God still blessed that guy See the mercy of God is so amazing God's blessings on us even though we're so disobedient That blessings are given to us not because we deserve them It's because we absolutely need them We need them God blesses us even when we don't deserve it In verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And the background of this verse is in Genesis chapter 48. Jacob is living his last days, and it's the same exact deceptive, dishonest Jacob that took his brother's blessings. And so we find him here. And it's really, really ironic because we find him... Blessing his descendants now. When he stole the blessing from Esau, his brother, and now we see that he's blessing. Isn't the grace of God amazing? You steal something that you don't deserve at all, and then God gives us the dignity to go ahead and offer the blessing. I mean, none of us would probably fault God, right? Right? If God was like, you know what? I'm going to be fair about this. You took your brother's blessing. I'm not going to allow you to bless your descendants. But he doesn't do that. God is so full of grace. And now you notice the picture here in verse 21. It's a really, really beautiful picture, actually. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So I think Jacob recognizes the grace of God because look at Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 10. It reads this, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers, with the children. This staff, I would like to think, is the same staff that he's now worshiping in his old age and leaning on. And it's kind of like his security blankie, right? Like he crosses the Jordan only with this staff, and it's his security blankie, knowing that, all right, God has this security blankie for me, and now I'm going to die, and I'm I'm leaning on this thing that carried me through the Jordan, and and this is my, 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 my blankie. And he's fearing that his brother's going to wipe out every remnant of him to ever exist. Because he he did something deceptive. He did something dishonest. He stole that blessing. But here, Jacob, Jacob is here in his old age blessing his grandchildren. And I wonder, I wonder if he worried about being deceived in his old age like he deceived his own dad. And wondering, like, Man, are these, what are these guys going to do to me? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a dirty rat. What's going to happen? But in that wondering, I also don't think that that happened because he, his faith in God grew so much during this time. He knew God was a God full of grace and that God is going to work out his purposes and they're going to come to pass even though we're so weak and we're so broken and we're so deceptive and dishonest. Verse 22, by faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The background of this verse is found in Genesis chapter 50 and in verse 25 it reads this, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Now out of all the things that can be written about Joseph and his faith, Because a lot can be written about him. The author writes about his bones. What is going on there? Like Out of everything you can write about Joseph, you write about his bones. Why is this? The background is the people of God are dying. They are shrinking. The population is getting smaller and smaller because of persecution, because of martyrdom, because of suffering, pain, and all these things. They're just... Getting smaller and smaller. And they were reading of the heroes of their faith, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and how God promised them and how to prosper them and to give them a a land and all this kind of stuff. They're not believing this right now. Look at us. We've moved from slave race, we've moved from slave race to Babylonian captivity. We've moved from like all these different things where like we really haven't been able to like, be our own people for a really, really long time, for generations. And then here Joseph comes and says, you know what? I agree with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are going to the promised land. God promised it, so we're going to get it. And so in Genesis chapter 50, verse 26, it reads this, So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now Joseph, being such a high-ranking person in Egypt, could have had this beautiful, ornate tomb that everybody could see from miles and miles around and saying, that's Joseph. That's his tomb there. And, and this is the guy. This is the most powerful guy in Egypt at the time, or just next to Pharaoh. But by faith, he knew there was going to be a promised land. So don't put me in that tomb. Take me with you guys to the promised land because I don't want my remains to stay in Egypt. I want my remains in a box. And when you guys go to the promised land, I want my bones there. Because his faith knew God would lead his people to that land that God promised no matter what, no matter how terrible things would be, no matter how many of them were going to die and endure hardship and suffering and pain, we are going to end up there. So take me there. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. I wonder what would happen to Moses if he was ugly. I just, I don't know. I go, does it really matter that he was beautiful? Like, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We find this story in Exodus chapter 2. Baby Moses is kept out of sight for three months, and then his family hides him in the river because Pharaoh delivers this edict that every Hebrew baby boy is to be thrown into the river and to be drowned. So they put him in the river they put him covered up and, and Moses' sister is hanging out and, and looking at where her baby brother is going to end up and, and notices that Pharaoh's daughter picks him up and that Pharaoh's daughter wants to keep him. So Moses' sister goes over there and says like, hey, you know what? Um, do you need someone to feed the baby? Because like, you know, the, the brother, the, no, not her brother, she wouldn't admit that. He needs milk. And so, and so she's like, yes. And so I know somebody. Runs home, gets mom and says, mom, Pharaoh's daughter took Moses and now is looking for a wet nurse. Here you are. And so Moses' mom gets to raise baby Moses until weaned off and then ends up with Pharaoh's daughter when he's old enough and and he's weaned off of, of mom's milk. Everything under God's control. I mean, isn't it all this crazy? It's more than just coincidental. A reminder to you and I that we don't have to worry. That God is in control and we can rest in knowing that God knows what is best and he is working even though he moves in these mysterious ways and we see the faith of Moses' parents here and he's working. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so here we see Moses as an adult who has everything that represents security in earthly terms, but then he makes this seemingly foolish decision because this act of faith brings him to identify with Hebrews, a slave race that has nothing rather than the world. And anyone from the outside looking in would think this is absolutely crazy because the Hebrews have nothing. They are slaves. They can't do anything without the Egyptians giving them permission. So why in the world would Moses want to identify with a people that are slaves over these people that have everything. Well, these people are people of God, and these people are pagans. Now, in worldly terms, why would anyone choose to give up so much for nothing? There's nothing there. Because Moses realizes that he has to choose, that he couldn't be a friend of worldliness at the same time being a friend of godliness. That he couldn't have the love of God and the love of money at the same time. That none of us can serve God, big G, and another God, little g, at the same time. That no one can serve two masters. So he goes against the flow and he chooses this more difficult path. Way more difficult Maybe some of you here are in need of pondering this decision in making a choice where you're making a choice between serving God or something else. To decide to live for God rather than living for a worldly life. Some people are living this private faith that isn't publicly lived out. A faith in God is to be made public. That's what baptism is. And we are told to be baptized. And so to boldly share our faith and to bring others to faith, evangelism, discipleship, those are public things. Those are more public things. When you get married, it's public. Have you noticed on the marriage license that there is a signature there for witness or witnesses? Your license is not legitimate until that is signed. It has to happen. It has to be public. It can't be just like, we exchange these vows and rings together, therefore we're married, and then you go out, and we're married. You're not. No one recognizes you. The state doesn't recognize There's no recognition for it. It has to be public. And you do public things. You wear rings. You exchange rings, and then you, you wear them. And then you start telling people about your spouse and you have a party and then you show them your phone with all the pictures of your spouse. And like, hey, look at this. Isn't she cute or whatever. And all this kind of stuff. Look at this outfit and whatever. Um, If you don't make your marriage public, you're a sketchy person. (laughs) You you, you just are. Something's wrong. If you're like out in public and you're like meeting with people and then you slip that ring off. Because why, why are you doing that? You're married. Why are you doing that? Because you're sketchy. You're trying to do something that the covenant that you made with your spouse said you shouldn't do. And you start hiding things. You start making things private. You don't show your phone to people about, with all the pictures with your spouse on it. And you don't do those things. And you start doing things secretly and trying to hide things. You don't do that in a marriage, and similar to your relationship with God, you don't keep it private. I go to church, so I slip my ring back on. When I leave church, I slip it off. And when I go to work, I definitely slip it off, because I want to talk the way I want to talk. I want to hang out with the people I want to hang out with. I want to talk and speak about whatever things, and of course, jesting and joking and all this kind of stuff. I don't want to do things, so I say one thing, but I live totally different. Sketchy. The Bible says, choose this day whom you will serve. And it's public. You're the same person all the time. You're not two different people. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. So Moses chose heavenly treasure over earthly pleasure. He gave up that social status. He gave up material riches, earthly satisfaction, and he could have easily made the excuse like this. You know what? I'm going to be one of the most powerful people in Egypt, and I'm going to use that influence to impact the world for the kingdom of God. Some people do do that. Joseph. Right? Without Joseph, Israelites would have been wiped out. They would would have died from famine or whatever else. He rescued them. You have to question your own heart and ask for the Lord's will and pray for those things. It's not a general rule just to say, like, if you ever have this option, then that's it. You have to choose that. You have to ask the Lord. But you can't serve two masters you make the decision because the lord has directed you to do that not because you're you're making excuses of oh it's more convenient there's more security there's all these other things we can't serve two masters and so he chooses heavenly treasure over earthly pleasure and you can't be a believer and live like an unbeliever so he gives up these temporary things for eternal things these things unseen for the things seen. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. And so here's a picture of Moses standing under a bloodstained door. Exodus 12 is where we find this story of the Passover, where the Passover lamb, is, we, is, the blood is put on the doorpost and on the lintel so that the judgment of the Passover passes over the homes marked with this Passover lamb blood. And so this was the promise of God, and maybe Moses wasn't completely sure about it, but Moses is sure of God's command, and he does it. Just like Abraham, he does the command, and he does it by faith, and this blood, a reminder of the death of the Passover lamb that frees us from the bondage of sin. To have hope for the future. And this was the only way to be saved. This blood-stained door. And today it's a blood-stained cross. Where it's our doorpost and our lintel that frees us from the bondage of sin. That God is faithful. Verse 29. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So for the first time we're introduced to People, not just an individual. And the background story here is found in Exodus chapter 14. Moses is leading the people out of Egypt. The people are terrified. They're crying out to God and they are criticizing Moses because they are at the Red Sea. And right behind them is the Egyptian army marching right down their throats and they're going to get killed by them. And so they start buckling under the pressure because they're stuck. They're in a really, really bad position. But Moses has the faith in God that whatever God said is going to happen. God said he's going to deliver them. God has a promised land for them. It's going to happen. So just do what God says, and he takes care of the rest. Here's an interesting difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites. The Israelites go across the Red Sea and they get to dry land. The Egyptians are on the other side and their faith is very, very presumptive because they're thinking they made it, we'll make it too because it's divided. And so they made it over to dry land, we'll make it over to dry land. And the, the Egyptians are presuming that they won't perish in the Red Sea because what they see didn't happen. And so they have faith too. They're operating by a faith, but it's different. And so I liken it to people who come to church without their own personal believing faith, that it's just attached to somebody else's faith. Somebody else goes forward and they see, oh, faith, they're saved by God. It's going to happen for me too. Not necessarily not if you're latching on to another's faith and it's not your own. Just like it didn't work for the Egyptians, it's not going to work for you to latch on to somebody else's faith. Faith is actively living out trust in God, knowing the peace of God because you know God. And by faith, these really argumentative, cynical people passed the dry land, even though they were so critical, fearful and doubtful which we find ourselves at times too don't we and yet God is so gracious to move us along even though we struggle so much verse 30 by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days I I, um, actually don't like this story it's found in Joshua chapter 6, and, and I'll tell you why I don't like this story. Because it just doesn't make any sense. Jericho is this impenetrable city. You can go there today. It's in the West Bank. They still have uh, archaeological digs happening there. It's a very fascinating city. But the ancient Jericho, you can the walls are impregnable. When they shut them, you cannot leave, and when they shut them, you cannot enter. And so... Let me share, you, share with you the story in Joshua 6 and then um, you, you can see why I don't like this story. Because just think about this as it's going on. God promises Joshua the promise. You're, the walls are going to fall down for you and you're going to take over the city. All right, great. How? This is my question, right? How is this going to happen? And so picking up the story, Joshua chapter 6 starting in verse 3. You shall march around the city. All the men of war Seriously? And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Did you just hear what I read to you? Why would anyone do what God told them to do when it's a plan like that? Walk around the city in silence. On the seventh day, shout. Aah! And the wall's going like, to really this is just not how we operate though is it when we think about this and we're like oh god told us to do this then what do we do we should try to strategize and so instead of being like joshua what do we do we're going to attack we're going to start chipping away at the wall we're going to siege it we're going to cut off all the water supply and we're going to wait them out and then starve them out we're we're going to just throw propaganda over the walls and then tell them, and then start shouting things to make them scared, and doing all this kind of stuff. This is what our flesh does. Because what they do makes no sense whatsoever, and it's just by faith. Just like you being in church. Because you talk to the people out there, and you're saying, like, you give how many hours on a Sunday to go there to do what? You pray to an invisible intangible thing. You read a book that is thousands of years old and apply it to your life today? That's just craziness. We do this by faith. This is our silent walk around the walls of Jericho. This is our shout on the seventh day and blowing of trumpets. No one knows what's going on right now. God knows. It's a spiritual work. See, Joshua doesn't go on to ask God to explain what's going on. And I find that really fascinating because we do this with God all the time, right? We ask God, why? God, why? Why? All these why questions. How? Joshua's just like, all right, we'll do it. And his guys with him must have thought he was nuts. Warriors, right? Imagine spears, swords, shield, everything. Uh, We're ready. We're ready. God says it's ours. We're ready. All right. Shh. Walk around the city. What? Yeah, walk. It's day three. Again, shh. Walk around the city. Day six. What in the world? I did not train to walk around quietly around the city. Day seven, Joshua's like, all right, we're going to do something different. The guy's like, Yeah yeah, we're going to blow trumpets and yell. What? Stuff just doesn't make sense. God commanded it, and we do it, just like we do today. You don't have sex until you're married. That's his commandment. We just do it. Why, God? It feels so good. It's so great. We should be able to share it with anybody we love and that we like, and it's consensual, and it's all this. He said it. We're just going to walk around the city quietly six times. And on the seventh, we're going to yell and blow trumpets. And it makes no sense. But we're going to do it, because he commanded it. And that's how it is. He does it because... It's by faith that he completely trusts God. Completely. And things are going to happen as God says they're going to happen. And God is working out his purposes. Things might seem pointless to you and I. But God is working. And his promises are true. And he says these commandments for us. Now, absent the word of God, this strategy is totally different for Joshua. Without God, people do what a lot of churches are doing today. What do we do as a church a lot of times with cities and with the world and all these other things? We politic, right? We take sides and then we start wars and we we invade and we break down walls in fleshly ways. Now, God told them to walk around the walls for a week and the walls fell. Maybe we don't see walls falling because we're not walking by faith. We're just doing whatever the heck we want to do. And we're plotting, and we're posturing, and we're politicking, and we're doing things out of our own flesh. Do we really believe in Christ and the sufficiency of the Bible, or do we think that we need to add a little something more? God needs our help. So we're going to do this. And so often the church is so busy doing stuff. But did God say to do that? Now, if God did say to do that, by all means, do it. But if he didn't, walk around silently. Wait. Verse 31, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This story is found in Joshua chapter 2. Those spies were sent out by Joshua. Rahab hid them. Now why is Rahab a prostitute on this list? You, we read all these heroes of the faith and we get to Rahab. What? It is the very same reason that you and I are on the list of God's grace. It's the same. How are we on that list? I mean, are, are, are we righteous? Are we without sin? We're just a bunch of Rahabs here. That's who we are. And if you can't admit that you're imperfect and that you need the grace of God to cover all that is dirty and broken and weak about you, that is the lack of faith that will prevent you from salvation in Jesus Christ. You see that scarlet cord that is found in Joshua chapter 2, verse 18? She was to hang this scarlet cord to to let them know, like, this is a mark of her salvation. Just as the mark of salvation for us is a scarlet stained cross covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. See, Rahab, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Rahab is a granny of Jesus's many generations back. He's actually Boaz's grandma, is Rahab, and then Boaz is a great-grandpa several times over for Jesus. Rahab is this bright, shining example of the grace of God, who was used by God even though she was a person of ill repute. Rahab believed what she was told was true. She went against everything that she knew and was saved. She lived in her weakness and discovered her strength and because of that became a hero of our faith Tosin read verses 32 through 40 I'm not going to repeat that and I'm running out of time so we're just going to jump and I'm going to count on you guys to study on those other characters there Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel all of them laid out for you study those guys awesome stories behind every single one of those characters, so so please study them on your own. I want to end with just a few thoughts. I think many of us have become soft in our faith. And yet God is pleased by faith. And here's something. Faith isn't just knowledge and faith isn't just belief. Faith is stepping up and saying, I do. That you are taking those vows, that you're exchanging those rings, that you're making that covenant with God. For example, you guys out there, you single guys, you see a single girl, and you're thinking, she's hot. But not only that, I believe she's going to make a great partner in life for me. Why? Because she's hospitable and she's generous, and she's kind, and I see all these wonderful things about it. I know for a fact she would be a great wife. I believe it with all my heart. Bad news for you. Unless you ask her out, not going to happen. Right? And unless she says yes when you propose, not going to happen. Then you've got to come up to the altar and you guys got to exchange vows and exchange rings and make this covenant with each other. Say, I do. Then it happens. That's faith. It's not just, I believe in God and He can do all these things. I know God and He can do it. Because the demons believe the same thing. The difference is the demons have not said, I do with Jesus Christ. They haven't committed to it. They haven't stepped into it. They haven't exchanged those vows. Are you a person of faith this morning? Not just belief, not just knowledge. Have you taken that step? See, faith has unfolded for us. And here's this battle between faith and unbelief faith is action, faith is public, it is decisive with this constant, persistent attitude. It grows, chapter 10, verse 35, or it shrinks. Now, some of you may wonder why you don't desire to share the gospel. Maybe you don't really know the gospel. Maybe it hasn't changed your life. You wonder if your sins are forgiven. If you wonder that, your sins are probably not forgiven. You wonder, why can't I worship like everybody else? Perhaps it's because you have not been changed by the Holy Spirit and transformed. Maybe you have knowledge and you know a lot about the Bible and you even believe it, but you haven't stepped up and said, I do. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your grace and we're so thankful for your mercy and we pray, Lord. That if anyone is stuck in that knowledge phase or anyone is stuck in just a belief phase without stepping forward, Lord, with a devotion, commitment, obedience to your commandments, that they would take that step of faith today. God, we're so thankful for your long-suffering and patience that you desire for everyone to be saved and you have waited over 2,000 years to return. And yet we still... Believe that promise. And we need to step in the commandments as we believe in that promise. Pray for encouragement and empowerment to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.